0: is a lens by which you assess all economic understanding. The Street is full of corruption. It is baked in to every aspect of our society. In Lenin was predicting global finance capital would do all the things it's doing today. This is written over a hundred years ago. So folks, this so is Steve, the Rogue Scholar. We're going to be talking about my subject, folks, today. We are talking about normalizing austerity as social murderer, making sure everyone understands the impacts of austerity. I don't see any, I mean, folks, you can line up, go out there on Twitter, and you will see every one of your favorite headliners talking about Ukraine and Russia. You'll see them talking about every war for oil or war for this. They always talk about the people dying and things like that, but reality is nothing, nothing, Kills more than austerity Austerity doesn't have a gun, so you don't get to see the guy pull the trigger. Austerity doesn't have a hangman's noose, so you don't get to see the noose, except for the suicides it creates. Unfortunately, we don't see the effects of austerity directly. We think, well, they should have brushed their teeth, they wouldn't have had tooth problems, and they wouldn't have died, right? In reality, we know that's not true. We know that's not true. So, what I did was I found an article, actually, should say it the other way around. I started with having checked out Jason Hickel's uh, Twitter feed, Jason Hickel, of course, is talking about austerity. He's talking about neoliberal, capital-driven austerity. And he's looking at it globally, not just here in the United States, not in the UK, but all around the world. And so I want to go ahead and I want to read an article that he shared. And I hope that this article, and by me reading it, will have you pay more attention to it. Because in the absence of a huge amount of people sharing about austerity being murder, as opposed to just simple tropes about Ukraine and Russia, if that was maybe not quite the number one story constantly, and maybe we realize that the real war that no one will talk about, mainly because they don't understand economics, is austerity. So let's go ahead and look at this. This article right here, um, let me show it to you. This article right here. Um, is really, really terrifying, actually, on so many levels, so many levels. Let me make sure I got the right one. I think this is the right one. It's by the New Internationalist, okay? And it says $16 and counting, the collateral damage of capital. And so while you see that and hear that, and you think you understand that, I want you to understand that if you don't really hold on to this, Ain't nobody going to do the homework for you. Nobody going to fight for you. Nobody going to fight for the people that are dying. 16 million and counting, folks. So uh, let's let's just dive right into the article. It says, over the past 50 years, powerful states and corporations have imposed neoliberal policies around the world, delivering potent cocktail of privatization, deregulation, and cuts to public services. Millions have died from inadequate access to basic nutrition. There is another way, writes Dylan Sullivan and Jason Hickel. So during the 1950s and 1960s, progressive and radical movements were gaining traction around the world. In the global north, labor unions were winning their fight for fairer wages and public services. In the global south, newly independent governments were throwing off colonial arrangements and using tariffs, land reform. And industrial policy to build national economic sovereignty. These movements were fighting for a fairer, and more just economy, and it was working, but it posed a threat to capital, particularly in the core states of the global north, as it constrained their access to cheap labor and captive markets they had enjoyed under colonialism. Capitalists responded by doing everything in their power to crush the progressive drive for change and reverse reforms a backlash that we now know today as nihilism. In the Global North, neoliberal policy was implemented by corporate-aligned governments, most notoriously those of Margaret Thatcher and Ronald Reagan. In the Global South, it was often done through coups and other violent imperialist interventions by the U.S. and its allies, including in countries such as Indonesia, 1965, Chile, 1973, that would be Milton Friedman, and uh, Pinochet, Burkina Faso in 1987, and Iraq in 2003. Countries that were not subject to invasions and coups had neoliberalism imposed upon them by the IMF and World Bank in the form of structural adjustment programs, APs, which required governments to privatize national resources and public assets, slash protections on labor and the environment. Curtail public services and crucially abolish programs that sought to ensure universal access to food or other essential goods. Between 1981 and 2004, 123 countries comprising 82% of the global population were forced to implement SAP, structural adjustment programs. Economic policy for the majority of humanity came to be determined by bankers and technocrats in Washington, D.C. These policies redistributed incomes to the rich and provided windfall profits to corporations in the global north, but they had a disastrous impact on working people and small farmers around the world, particularly in terms of access to food. In India, the proportion of the population without access to sufficient calories increased from 75% to 91% in rural areas and from 57% to 73% in urban areas. During the two decades following neoliberal reforms in 1992, in Latin America and much of sub-Saharan Africa, the quantity of food that could be purchased with unskilled laborers' wage declined markedly, reaching levels lower than in the 17th, 18th centuries. Something similar happened in China and the former socialist countries of Eastern Europe. Where the share of people unable to afford basic subsistence basket increased dramatically during the reforms of the 1990s. In region after region, neoliberalism produced food insecurity and caused immeasurable human suffering. Death rate from malnutrition per 100,000 people. It says Cuba, select developing countries, age standardized. So Mexico, you see Peru. Look at this. I mean, This is ridiculous, but there's Cuba down there. Nothing, not at all. Isn't that something? Isn't that something? That Cuba, the communist socialist paradise is the only place where people aren't dying from malnutrition. Look at that. But these fuckers, these evil people will sit there and talk shit about Cuba. Death rate from malnutrition per 100,000 people, Cuba and selected high income countries age standardized. Look at France, Chile. The U.S. Look at that. Even the U.S. is is higher. Cuban alternative, but not every country succumbed to neoliberal shock therapy. In Cuba, following the socialist revolution in 1959, the government established a public food provisioning program designed to ensure universal access to basic nutritional requirements. Cuba is the only Latin American country that did not implement structural adjustment programs and has maintained this program to the present day. Under this system, every citizen is entitled to a modest quantity of nutritious food at subsidized prices. As of 2015, Cubans only pay about $2 per month for these items, which is around 12% of their market value. The Cuban government invests over $1 billion into the system every year. People are, of course, free to obtain additional foodstuffs from local markets, community gardens, and commons. But the food program secures a baseline below which no one will fall. Cuba's food provisioning system has been remarkably successful at fighting hunger and premature mortality. Figure 1 compares Cuba's death rate from nutritional deficiencies to three Latin American states with similar incomes, Mexico, Peru, and Brazil. The data was obtained by the Global Burden of Disease Study 2019 carried out by Institute for Health Metrics and Evaluation at the University of Washington. It refers to all deaths associated with inadequate food, including deficiencies in calories, protein, iodine, vitamin A, iron, and other nutrients. The data is age standardized, a technique used when populations have different age profiles to allow for comparisons between countries across time. Even though Cuba has a lower per capita income than all these states, it has performed much better at ensuring access to essential goods required for survival. In fact, Cuba's death rate from malnutrition is lower than even the high income economies like Chile, the U.S., and France. The U.S.'s per capita income is almost nine times higher than Cuba's, yet its citizens are more likely to die from a lack of calories and protein. Remarkably, Cuba has been able to accomplish this while subject to a brutal economic blockade imposed by the U.S. Long history of violence. Countless studies have demonstrated the human toll of neoliberal policy, but one way to illustrate the extraordinary scale of its is to compare the death rate from malnutrition in Cuba to countries that have either dismantled or prevented progressive food policies. The map shows the number of deaths from malnutrition, um, excuse me, map shows the number of deaths from malnutrition in excess of Cuban levels in all countries from 1990 to 2019. Countries shaded in yellow, in the light yellow, had a mortality rate from malnutrition equal to or lower than Cuba's. In total, 63 million excess deaths have occurred due to malnutrition that could have been prevented with Cuba-style policies. This includes 35,000 in the U.S., 409,000 in Mexico, and 729,000 in China, 1.2 million in Indonesia, and a staggering 3.65 million in India. The only large populous region left unscathed was Eastern Europe and Russia perhaps reflecting its history of socialist policy. In the rest of the world, almost 16 million of people have died needlessly. I want to call that, I want to change that. I want to say 16 million people have been murdered by governments implementing austerity measures and denying the public purpose. These deaths are not identical to the capitalist world system. They are intrinsic to it. Look, folks, these deaths are not incidental to the capitalist world system. They are intrinsic to it. From the perspective of capital, the global poor's claims to food represent a claim on resources, land, labor, energy, that could be appropriated instead to serve elite consumption and the growth of the commodity sector. Capital therefore seeks to constrain the consumption of these communities in order to make resources available for accumulation. It is only by squeezing the incomes of the poor, often to the point of causing millions of needless deaths. This is austerity. Look, this is austerity right here, folks. It is only by squeezing the incomes of the poor, often to the point of causing millions of needless deaths, that capital can ensure the steady flow of resources required for profit maximization, and perpetual corporate growth. During the rise of capitalism in the 16th century, some 50 million indigenous people in the uh, Central and South America fell victim to colonial genocide, dispossession, and starvation. As their land was expropriated to service the European market in the 17th and 18th centuries, European trading companies trafficked enslaved people from West Africa causing millions to die from disease, hunger, and overwork. In the 19th century, British appropriation of agricultural yields in India and China led to serial famines that caused tens of millions to die. The 16 million deaths that have occurred due to preventable malnutrition since 1990 are merely the latest manifestation of this long history of violence. Economics for the people, it is clear that neoliberal policy has failed to achieve food security and human development for the majority of the world. Cuba has demonstrated that a more effective approach is to organize production directly around meeting human needs through public provisioning and social guarantees. But it's not just Cuba. Public provisioning systems have proved to be a powerful tool for poverty alleviation in many contexts one 1986 study of health and education indicators found that any given level of economic development socialist countries perform better than capitalist states at securing strong welfare outcomes for their populations these findings received further support from a 1993 study in the international Journal of Health services which found that high levels of democracy and strong left-wing policies were associated with improved health indicators the public health uh, Excuse me, the public health researcher Vincente Navarro reached similar conclusions in his region by region survey of health outcomes in capitalist and socialist states. In Latin America, Cuba performed better than almost all other states. In Asia, China, and the Soviet Union had stronger welfare outcomes than capitalist economies like India or Turkey. And in high income countries of Europe and North America, the social democracies with generous welfare states, including Sweden, Norway, and Denmark, outperform neoliberal states like the U.S. You hear that? It's kind of amazing. American exceptionalism. Wow. As the Nobel-winning economist Amartya Sen remarked in a 1981, one thought is bound to occur that communism is good for poverty removal. Of course, some socialist governments of the 20th century pursued policies that exacerbated hunger and mortality. These tragedies occurred not because of socialist principles as such, but because of the authoritarian nature of the government power. 1958 to 1961, China experienced a famine that killed tens of millions of people because Mao's government brutally requisitioned grain from the peasantry to finance industrialization and crushed any dissent. Let me just add to this point right here. I want to just make this statement crystal clear. During that time period when Mao had the Great Famine, one of the things that had happened was his generals in each local province that were supposed to be providing the grains back to the central uh, command, they would lie to Mao and tell him that production had kept up. And as a means of the lie, because they were terrified of letting Mao down, they went ahead and underreported or overreported the amount of production and they took the grains from the people okay this is what caused major problems this is where the death occurred mao didn't try to starve the people okay he he thought he was getting numbers from his generals that told him production had kept up okay what had happened was they were terrified to let the the general you know good good mr mao down and what they ended up doing was inadvertently starving their own local communities as they handed the grain up to uh, Mao. So let's be crystal clear. Mao did not do that. It was his generals who were afraid of Mao who did that. Now you could argue that, uh, you know, one way or the other, Mao was the reason because the buck stops at the top. But the truth of the matter is, is that Mao did not order anyone to starve. He was under the impression that production was keeping up and he was, he had a quota that he had had them send to him. So let's be clear, it wasn't him choosing to murder all those people. Anyway, back to the story. The Chinese famine underscores the importance of popular participation in economic policymaking. Socialist provisioning systems should always be democratically managed by transparent and accountable public institutions, worker cooperatives, and grassroots organizations. Nevertheless, outside of the famine years, socialist China experienced rapid gains against mortality. As Jean Drez and Amartya Sen remarked in 1989, despite the gigantic size of excess mortality in the Chinese famine, the extra mortality in India from regular deprivation in normal times vastly overshadows the former. Every eight years or so, more people die in India because of its higher regular death rate relative to socialist China than died in China during the gigantic famine of 58 to 61. Drez and Sen attribute China's lead over India to state investments in the public distribution of food and health care. In other words, to socialist provisioning systems that de essential goods. The mass poverty and hunger that characterizes our world today is not due to absolute scarcity. The world economy has extraordinary productive capacity, sufficient to end poverty several times over again. The problem is is that this capacity is overwhelmingly used to service the interests of capital accumulation rather than to meet human needs. With democratic socialist policy, we can do the opposite. We can build an economy focused on the people instead of profit, where the goal of production is to ensure that everyone has the goods and services necessary to live decent dignified lives and then it comes in and tells dylan is an adjunct fellow in the school of social sciences of macquarie university where he teaches anthropology and sociology his research focuses on global inequality colonialism environmental justice and the economics of socialist planning jason Hickel is a professor at the institute for environmental science and technology icta at the autonomous university of barcelona His most recent books are The Divide, A Brief Guide to Global Inequality and Its Solutions and Less is More, How Degrowth Will Save the World. And he says they calculated excess deaths in each country and year with following formula, excess deaths in country A equal per capita deaths in country A minus per capita deaths in Cuba, X population in country A. Anyway, so I want to just get back to the stream here momentarily. Reading this article here, I don't think most people read for comprehension. And when they do get these opportunities to read, they don't synthesize it with their understanding of modern monetary theory. They don't synthesize it with an understanding of power dynamics. They don't synthesize it with an understanding of what's happening here in the United States directly under our nose. And we don't synthesize it as to what we do to the rest of the world in order to facilitate this kind of living. Okay. So what I did after that was I found another article. And I think that this article, I'm going to try to read this if I can get to it. And it, it, it it's one that I've talked about in the past at some level. But I want you to understand, point blank, that these things are real. And if we don't normalize that austerity is murder, if we don't normalize that, no one else will. Okay? So this is from Lancaster, UK. Um, and this is from December 19th, 2018. It says, austerity results in social murder, according to new research. And quote, what is required is not the tweaking of existing policies, but fundamental change that removes the economic need for people to work for the lowest wages that employers can get away with paying. Anyway, the consequences of austerity in the social system, severe cuts to benefits and the ratcheting up of conditions attached to benefits is social murder according to new research by Lancaster University. Um, If you can see this, if you can read this along with me, it's great. But I'm going to go ahead and keep reading anyway. So Dr. Chris Glover, who heads the university's sociology department, says austerity can be understood as a form of structural violence, violence that is built into society and is expressed in unequal power and unequal life chances, as it is deepens inequalities and injustices and creates even more poverty. The article, Violent Proletarianization, Social Murder, the Reserve Army of Labor and Social Security Austerity in Britain, suggests that as a result of the violence of austerity, working-class people face harm to their physical and mental well-being and, in some instances, are socially murdered. Dr. Grover uses the article to call on the government to change in action. He refers to the process as violent proletarianization, the idea that violent austerity is aimed at forcing people to do paid work rather than being reliant upon benefits. To address violent proletarianization, what is required is not the tweaking of existing policies, but fundamental change that removes economic need for people to work at the lowest wages. Employers can get away with paying. Published in the journal Critical Social Policy, Dr. Grover gives examples where social security austerity has led to a range of harms. An additional six suicides for every 10,000 work capability assessments done. Increasing number of people in Britain dying of malnutrition. Increasing numbers of homeless people dying on the streets or in hostels. The article argues that austerity, the different economic conditions created by governments by cutting back on public spending, has brought cuts and damaging changes to Social Security policy, meaning Britain has fallen victim to a brutal approach to forcing people to do low-paid work. The violence takes two forms. First, it involves further economic hardship of the already income poor people. It causes social inequalities and injustices in the short term and in the longer term. Second. The poverty that violent proletization creates is both known and avoidable. Dr. Grover adds that only by fundamentally rethinking current social security policy can change, protect, change that protects the poorest people be made. So with that, let me come back here. Now, Engels had talked about this very thing, calling it social murder. And I'm going to go ahead and share that momentary just so you can see what I'm talking about. Let's see if we can find this here. One quick second, and I think I got it. So if I come in here, come in here. Hey widow, who's that guy? Austerity is murder, folks. I I live it. I breathe it. Okay. I come in here, look at Jason Hickel's tweet thread, and here it is. Social murder is a term coined by Friedrich Engels in 1845 and used to describe murder committed by the political and social elite where they knowingly permit conditions to exist where the poorest and most vulnerable in society are deprived of the necessities of life and placed in a position in which they cannot reasonably expect to live and will eventually meet an early and unnatural I'm I'm really at a point quite frankly I'm really at a point where the idea of people genuinely um ignoring this stuff is just really it's really gotten to the point where it's it's overwhelming we we've got to be able to fundamentally shift gears to this subject no i'm 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 all about ending the wars we know everybody lines up with uh you know tanks and whatnot and uh, you know all the normal warfare kind of things I, i'm i'm very 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 familiar uh you know with that um i'm giving you guys the links while i'm talking here um i, I just got to be crystal clear the unfortunate truth you only get any kind of power any kind of energy when people are literally shooting each other with guns then all of a sudden everybody gets excited We want to talk about it and we get all up about it that that'll get them out shooting people they see that as violence that's violence it's the only violence they know because it doesn't fit in a meme but the truth of the matter is is that when you cut social spending when you don't understand that the government has the capability of spending to the point of full employment and ensuring that no one goes without food no one goes without shelter that the uh climate does not wreak havoc on us because we've taken the steps to decarbonize uh, the environment. We've taken the steps to mitigate uh, coastal regions and and come up with ways of breeding resiliency into our cities and breeding resiliency into families and breeding resiliencies into our social structure. And, And instead of being an imperial power that colonizes other countries to extract their wealth, we could work collaboratively, right? But we don't do that. And because we don't do that, we just end up focusing on Nazis in Ukraine. It's very depressing because as much as I hate Nazis, all the social murder, all these millions of people that have died from social murder and died from austerity, they didn't die from Nazis. They didn't die from any of that. They didn't die from that. And hold on real quick. Let me see if I can add a link to our donation page as well because goodness gracious folks we need your help right we really do need your help trying to find it there we go please we have a matching donor by the way folks so anything you give to us somebody's going to double it so please donate become a monthly donor donate to our year end please truly help us um I think it's important to note I talk to y'all about MMT all the time MMT seems like a boring subject to some they don't want to learn about economics i get it but because you don't want to learn about economics the lies that the government tells regular normies eat up and they just think that the people that you know aren't eating well just made bad choices well you made bad choices so so what people make bad choices every single day of their lives and in the cases of these neoliberal situations where austerity reigns supreme the choices are often from bad to worse. It's not like you have a good choice. And then you always have even friends asking why you didn't make different choices. It's it's just disgusting. It's like, well, how come your taxes are behind? Or how come your child support's behind? Or how come your mortgage is behind? Or how come you didn't get your teeth taken care of? Or how come you didn't do this? Or how come you didn't do that? It's always like pointing down at the person and never realizing that while some things are certainly we can do things differently. That's systematically not the right thing. Systematically, we've allowed everyone to fall down to the bottom with no safety net. And this is around the world. And people are dying, folks. People are dying. It's not like, a, you know, oh, well, you just don't get to have a PlayStation. No, people are dying from this stuff. Okay. And because there's no energy, there's no power, all the energy is there to talk about the 900 member, 900 member Azov battalion. I want you to think how much mental waste is being explained out there by focusing everybody's efforts on the 900 member Azov battalion, the Nazis in Ukraine. As horrible as Nazis, it's not why the US is doing the Ukraine thing. The U.S. is doing it to maintain hegemony, to ensure that it has all its resources uh, secured while it begins to bring production back home because it had been living off of cheap imports forever. And now with the way the polarization of the world has gone, quite frankly, the U.S. has to go back 40 years to catch up. And they can't do that if you allow the same people that are out there kicking your butt today to keep doing it. You see what I'm saying? And you're exactly right. This is exactly right. Gun violence is a result of austerity. Libs need to understand that. It's not just the existence of guns that they harp about. Couldn't agree more. Could not agree more. And there you go. Slick move of capitalists institutionalizing austerity. Yes, this is all very true. Um, I I just, I, I lose so much hope, so much like, of my my real zest for life and by understanding that most people don't pick up on this message it really like nothing i've ever seen before the minute some big gun thing happens everybody's out there tons of people out there saying we got to get guns off the we got to remove clips we got to go after automatic we got to go folks the people that have all these guns have them buried in bunkers they've got fucking underground floorboards where they've got an arsenal bag i mean we've got malicious all over this country. You can't put the cat back in the you know box. Pandora's box has already been opened. You need to understand why people get violent, why people stop believing and why people die and not just chalk it up like, Oh, well everybody dies, but really begin to realize the reason why society is so screwed is because it's a big business to watch people suffer because big, business allows people to suffer so that they can create new markets. This austerity stuff is about keeping us compliant and about hoping and praying that the bad things that people do when they're struggling and stuck, starving. It's it's about making sure there's an industry of cops, an industry of private prisons, an industry of, you know, drug testing, you name it, to go ahead and put them in jail. And exactly austerity really is big business. And unfortunately, Bob, you're right. Rob acts, people can't think abstractly. It must be direct in their faces for them to understand. It's really depressing though, isn't it? Isn't it depressing when you see people running around the first time they see a gun violence and that's the focus of their stuff. You know how tall the order is to change the world. I'm fatigued, man. I'm really fatigued. I want you to understand for real, the weight of this this knowledge and not having a big enough voice and not being able to get people motivated. They're too stuck in their comfy lives, doing comfy things, not willing to really devote themselves to fighting back. It literally steals my life essence from me, watching people be that selfish and that absorbed in other things. I can't think of anything more important because it's directly tied to, uh, you know, climate crisis. So much of the excesses of the world are brought on by the system that Jason Hickel called out in that first article. So much of what we're fighting on right now is never talked about at the political level because politics isn't there intended to solve these problems. It's there to keep us distracted, there to keep us completely out, out of the real fight. When you see people talking about the private Federal Reserve, they've completely lost the plot. They don't understand that it's so much bigger than that. The Federal Reserve and stuff like that are not really the where the policy is made. Policy is made by your local governments and the people that own them. The lobbyists, the capitalist order, the capital order, as Clara Matei says. I'd really like to believe that people will change. And I see somebody say Nina Turner unbossed. But guess what? Nina Turner doesn't talk MMT. She doesn't understand this stuff. And when we bring it to her, she ignores it. Every time she ignores it, it really is deeply troubling. You know, I I was on with Jen Perlman a couple years back and uh, Boa, the fifth column was on there. Boa doesn't give a shit about MMT. Got a huge audience, will never talk about any of the stuff. David Dale, many of you guys love the Rational National. He will not talk MMT at all, doesn't give a shit. Doesn't care. So many of the people, so many of the people, so many of the people that are out there that really, really should be on our side, really should be talking nonstop about ending austerity, they won't do it. They won't do it. I don't know why, but I do know this. If you're not talking about this stuff, you're not an ally. If you're a person in power and you have a platform, you're not talking about it, you're not an ally. If you're a former progressive leader, goes out there and says all sorts of stuff and doesn't focus on this. You're not an ally, and it's very depressing. It's disgusting, and millions upon millions of people are dying, and as you heard from Jason Hickel's article, they've estimated some 16 million have died from this. I guarantee you the wars that we fight aren't killing 16 million people. Thank you for the super chat, Rich Four. Austerity is mass murder and has killed many more people than the highest death toll attributed to the hated Stalin. Amen, brother. Uh, here's another one. Austerity is population control based. Hold on. Let's get that out there. Austerity is population control based on economic need for labor. As Labor needs decrease; They prefer population to decrease with it. No lies detected. No lies detected. So with all that, I want to be crystal clear. I want to be crystal clear. If your headline people are not talking about this stuff, you've wasted a half hour of your time listening to them you've wasted an hour of your time listening to them if they aren't talking about this stuff they're part of the the mindset that is going to distract you from focusing on this and i got to be crystal clear that makes a lot of people that i know and love to be part of the problem and i don't really see any value in not calling them out for being part of the problem we used to back in the day when People were just learning about MMT, modern monetary theory, and understanding the power it has to destroy and crush austerity. People just couldn't be bothered to learn. But back then, we had an army of people that would go to people's live streams, that would go to town halls, and they would say things. Now, somehow or another, this gentleman's club has taken over a lot of the MMT world, and people are no longer fighting. They're no longer bringing this to attention. and. As a result of that, I feel like it's really taken a back seat once again, and that's a damn shame. The town police destroyed a potential movement that could have saved millions of lives, and um, I have feelings about that. Maybe one of these days I'll write a book and speak about it very explicitly. But in the meantime, though, I'm going to let you guys go to chew on this. All the links are in the uh, live chat. I put all the links to the things I discussed today in there. So if you scroll through the live chat, you should be able to find it Without with further ado, I am going to be checking out folks Again, I am really depressed. Things like this destroy me when I see that and I realize how tall the order is to change that and realize how few people will stay heads down, focused on ending this and work consistently to build up the organizations that need to be built to be able to fight back. When I see how they go off after shiny objects and I see how easily distracted they are. And I see how low commitment level they are and I see how they only do the things they want to do, not the things that need to be done, stuff like that. It literally kills my soul. It makes me, it makes me not want to wake up in the morning when I see people like that. And unfortunately we're surrounded. By people that won't do anything to change this narrative because they don't believe it, they can have an impact or they just don't care enough. I don't know what it is, but it's so depressing. It's like literally stealing my life force from me. People that don't check in, don't do the things they need to do, literally steal my soul from me. So with that, I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to end this live stream. Thank you guys for showing up. Read the articles if you can, get the word out. But in the meantime, millions of people are dying because we won't talk about this stuff anyway i'm out of here if you enjoyed this podcast and would like to support our efforts please take a moment to subscribe and check out our other work on the real progress in action youtube channel and visit our sister organization's website at realprogressives.org.